It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide, brought to you by Coors Light. Logan Couture wins it in overtime. Now, now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. Colorado on the attack. Taves and Lekkinen exchanging passes. Lekkinen carrying into the shark zone. Feeds Nachushkin behind the goal. Angles it back to the point. Nice move by Makar around Barabanov, then around. Johnson in front, quick shot, score! Kale McCarr is all world on this play. He stick-handled around two players, Barabanov and Johnson, and poked it to Lekkinen in front, and that makes it six to nothing, Colorado. And all Lekkinen can do is go over to Kale McCarr and say, thank you, sir, may I have another? Yeah, I mean, that was as dominant a performance as I've seen all year. I mean, we had, that hasn't happened to us all year. And A, they're very good. B, uh, you know, we've gone through a lot the last few weeks, like a lot of teams have, but, you know, big win last night and travel here, but everybody plays back-to-back. So, you know, anything that could have gone wrong did. Uh, you know, we didn't show any type of characteristics that we have throughout the season, and, you know, we just got to move forward here quickly. Good morning, everyone. Now we play the game of how quickly we can erase last night from our memory. The only Sharks game in recent memory that I can really think of that was anything like last night's was the 8-0 loss to Nashville about a year ago at SAP Center. Circumstances in this one were a little bit different, as obviously you're on the second night of a back-to-back, playing at elevation against a Colorado team that is fighting to stay in the playoffs and defend their title, but I'm not trying to excuse it, I'm not trying to defend it, I'm just suggesting that after this morning's show, we all move along. When watching the game last night, you know, after about the first couple of minutes, my wife, who was a very casual observer, said something to the effect of, you know, the Sharks aren't playing very well tonight. And I was like, no, no, they are not. It is not looking good so far. I mean, I felt like the entirety of the first period, the Sharks didn't even have anything resembling possession. It felt like they were defending throughout the entirety of that first period. And then you just got the idea that it was going to be a very, very long night because the Sharks... It seemed like they were incapable of establishing possession. It seemed like they were incapable of really, you know, bringing it out cleanly. They were dominated thoroughly top to bottom. And we can reference, you know, recent games that the Sharks have played in in which they have lost, you know, 8-3 to Washington, 6-3 to St. Louis. And yeah, they at least played 20 or 30 complete minutes in those games. But last night, it was like the Sharks just didn't have what they needed to compete in that game. And I don't think this was a... um, a reaction to the deadline that some of the other ones were. I think that a couple of things, the Avalanche, even though they are hurt, they are still a very capable and potent team. They have a lot more to be playing for right now. I think that they've also matched up very well against the Sharks in recent memory, which is part of the reason why the Sharks have such a hard time with this team. So, you know, it's not, it's not something that I think we should dive too deeply in to try and figure out where this team is mentally or how they're reacting after the trade deadline. 
I think it's more indicative of the fact that, yeah, the Sharks are on the second night of a back-to-back at elevation. That's going to be a very, very tough night. And then beyond that, it's just, it's not like the Sharks are that good. I mean, I think that's the sh- the stark reality that we all have to wrap our heads around. And I heard Curtis saying it in the post game, and I think that's just the stark reality. It's like, after the trades, after some of the injuries they've experienced this year, they are not very good. And we can probably classify them in other categories as not very good, but it's just, it's where they are right now. I don't know how much pushback they have against a lot of the upper echelon teams, of which I would still include a Colorado. I think Colorado, when they're playing their game, much more impressive than a Winnipeg. And that's not to take a shot at Winnipeg. I just think that if you look at the Avs, considering the injuries they've had this year, considering some of the issues they've had to deal with, they're still a very, very good team. And if they do get a Landeskog back, if they can get healthy heading into the playoffs, then that will change um, that will change a lot. But for the time being... You know, the Sharks just have to learn how to play within their means right now. And I don't mean that in the sense that that they don't know how, but I think that, you know, once you've lost the Nick Bonino, once you lose the Timo Meyer, once you lose a lot of these quality players, I think you have to try and figure things out a little bit more. But, uh, you know, right now we get to look at a William Eklund and last night, you know, he nor anybody else produced anything because the Sharks, again, it felt like they barely ever had any offensive possession. It felt like they barely had any ability to create anything offensively. And this is why I've repeatedly said that from here on to the end of the year, it's going to be a a rough ride. Like there are just not going to be a lot of positive moments for the Sharks. And I don't think it's going to be for lack of effort. I don't think it's going to be because they, you know, aren't trying to win. I just don't know at this point if the roster they have with the lack of motivation beyond playing for their roster spot and playing for their contracts and future contracts. I just don't know what is really there for this team. And that's that's tough. And that's, you know, that's what you have to deal with as a professional athlete, but that doesn't mean that we are going to be free of any more of these blowout type games for the remainder of the year, because this is just where they are right now. And again, I know I'm repeating myself, but I mean, there's just not a whole lot of takeaway out of last night other than to realize like, yeah, it was an old, you know, good old fashioned butt whipping and they are just going to have to move on from it and try and figure out what they're going to do next coming up against St. Louis, a team that I would hope they would want to get some uh, revenge against after losing to them at home the other night because I think there's always the desire to get back at the team that beat you previously. But, you know, one of the things that I do want to talk about is that, you know, if we were talking about the NBA and there was a non-call like that on a Steph Curry, like we saw there at Carlson last night, you know, I think there would be a lot more hubbub around the league or at least among, um, you know, just general hockey fans. It just seems like that's a flaw in the system to where they can't, you know, look at it and see whether or not a guy got high-sticked. I mean, essentially, if you're in a position where you look at a stick being near someone's face, and they come up on the other side bloodied, and, you know, probably having to go back and get some stitches, I don't know for sure, but, I mean, what what other conclusion are you as an official supposed to make there? You think the puck just jumped up off the ground and went up and bit Eric Carlson in the lip? I mean, again, I am the first to acknowledge that officials have a very, very difficult job and that, you know, I've sat down there on the glass before. It is so fast and so furious. You know, the ability of them to catch anything is hard, but at the same time, it's like, okay, let's let's put two and two together and try and figure out what happened here. And for Eric Carlson, as a two-time Norris Trophy winner, as a future Hall of Famer, as a guy who was having a season that's on pace to be one of the best ever in the history of defensemen, I think that he deserves a little bit better. 
I think that, you know, that he deserves the benefit of the doubt in that instance. And I know that's not exactly how the game is called. And I don't know that it's an intentional sign of disrespect. Even if Carlson did feel disrespected, I, I don't think there was any malice behind it. I don't think there was any carryover from, you know, the previous issue with Quinn. But it's just, it's frustrating because you think that should earn a call at that point of the game. And I had no problem with Eric Carlson tossing his helmet out onto the, onto the ice. I mean, to me, that's the way that you show your disrespect in an almost respectful way. He didn't go out there and chew out the officials. He didn't go out there and disrupt the game too much. He didn't go out there and, you know, make a mockery, his post-game comments. He just said, I'm going to show you that I'm pissed off. And you know what? That's fine. I have no problem with an athlete showing that they are ticked off in that way. And again, maybe some of his other teammates saw that and said, okay, you know, if Eric Carlson's ticked off, this is a pretty big deal because Eric Carlson is a cool customer. He's not one that uses, loses his cool very often. He'll, you know, he'll hit his stick on the, on the goal. He'll, you know, slam a door occasionally. But, you know, with the officials, with most of his teammates, with everything like that, he is a very, very cool and collected individual. And that's why when you see him ticked off like that, you know that it's legitimate. I mean, if he's going to show that kind of fire, if he's going to be angry like that, then yeah, that's 100% a missed call. And Carlson has earned that ability to be pissed with good reason because he doesn't do it very often, hardly ever. When he does show that type of emotion, he's usually, and I would say I can't remember a single instance, but he's probably right. You know, he's not usually wrong about getting ticked off like that. I wish that it had been in a closer game. I wish that it had been an instance where it could have pissed him off to come back out onto the ice and blow up for, uh, you know, a couple of points, some assists and a goal or something like that. But, you know, the game was already out of hand by that point. So it didn't lend itself to that narrative. But, you know, I am hoping that in the upcoming games for Carlson that he does have a couple of multi-pointers and goes off just to try and show everybody again of, hey, I'm the superstar in this league that's not named Connor McDavid. I'm having an incredible season. I'm the premier defenseman in this league. I'm doing this on a team that's not very good. Show me the respect that I deserve. And, you know, there's no better way to go about your business than that. Just, you know, show that you're the that you're the superstar. Show that you're the guy that deserves the call. And, you know, while he continues to rack up the points, you know, go, go for it, Mr. Carlson. You know, go get to 100 points as fast as possible and see what you can stack on top of that. Because right now the Sharks are in a, uh, they're in a tough space. And I don't have a clearly defined idea of when they are not going to be in a tough space, right? Like this is going to take a while for them to get back into a position where they are one of those teams that is truly contending. And, you know, I hope that it happens sooner rather than later. And I hope that we get to do see some more uh, players from the Bar- Barracuda like a Thomas Bordalo. Um, he's one that I'm very, very excited to see. Maybe after the KHL season ends that uh, Shakir Makhmadoulin does get to come over and play with the Sharks a little bit. I wouldn't mind getting a look at him. But, you know, these are the things that we have to look forward now. It's not about the here and now. It's about the future for the San Jose Sharks. And I know that can be a tough sell at times, especially when you're watching your team get beat up 6 nothing. But, you know, I always look at, okay, where is the team? What are they currently trying to do? What is the plan? And the thing that I have heard from everyone, and I know that we can't know whether or not Mike Greer is right, is that everyone says Mike Greer has a vision. Mike Greer has a plan. And I think that while I can't just ask you to blindly put faith in that, I think that when guys have clearly defined visions like that, it's better than the alternative. I don't know that this will work. I, you know, I can't say that for certainty, but I feel like Mike Greer, who is a former player himself, who has experience working with front offices and seems to understand what helps 
you know, make up good teams, does have a very clear vision of what he wants to do with the Sharks and wants to make them into. And I think he is trying to put that in place. And you can't do that overnight and you can't do it in the course of a season, but you can get the wheel turning. You can start funneling your resources into feeding that idea, that system, that template of what he is trying to build. And that's what I think he's trying to do. And I think that some of the things that he's said, and maybe one of the most important things he said, that it's not just about getting guys um, in draft picks. You know, he said he's also going to try and find NHL-ready guys, which is what we would classify as a Shakir Makhmadoula. And if and if you didn't listen to my interview with Craig Button, I highly suggest that you do. Um, it was on the buildup ahead of the game against... Montreal, but you know, you listen to the things that he says in that interview, and he's a former executive himself. He was the GM of Calgary. He knows exactly what it's like. It's a difficult position to be in, obviously. And I don't think anyone envies Mike Greer's position because he's trying to turn a franchise around. But you hear the things that he says about Mike Greer, you hear the things he says about the acquisitions. It is it's easy to fall into a little bit of hope. And I know that sounds crazy given how it is lately, but there are reasons to look at the Sharks' future, maybe not next year, but maybe the year after, because you do look at the experience that Eklund's getting. You look at the potential of a Thomas Bordalo, which is another name that Craig Button mentioned that he really, really liked his future game of. And you combine that with a Shakir Mukbadul, and you combine that with Nico Sturm, who we're going to get into some sound from uh, Connor McGahee, the radio play-by-play voice of the Avs. I talked to him yesterday, you know, getting his thoughts about Nico Sturm. And then I think we also have to be realistic about the future with Eric Carlson of how much longer he's going to remain with the Sharks. I mean, I don't I don't know what teams are going to, you know, try and ask to get him in terms of retainment at the very least, but you know, you have to imagine that there will be a very somewhat high probability that Eric Carlson is traded in the offseason and the Sharks get some acquisitions out of that. And then there are other players we can look at as well. I mean, we've heard rumors in the past about Logan Couture. I would not want to see that, just as I wouldn't want to see Eric Carlson per se. But, you know, I I go back to my refrain all year long, and that has been, are they helping the team win now? And ultimately, that is the question that Mike Greer is asking, and that is that, you know, they're not. And I think that as tough as it would be to see some of these guys like a Logan Couture and everything that he's met to the franchise – especially because he doesn't want to leave per se, it would be tough to see things like this go down. I mean, we saw Timo Meyer leave and we didn't like that. And we saw, you know, Nick Benino leave and, you know, we understood it. And a year ago we saw Cogliano leave and we understood it, but it doesn't exactly make you feel good. And then this past off season, we also saw Brent Burns and yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough. It's tough to watch good players leave. It's tough to watch teams in their runs taking players from your team to try and have success. But we were there previously with the acquisitions of Brent Burns, with the acquisitions of Evander Kane, with the acquisitions of Eric Carlson, with the acquisitions of Brent Burns. I mean, you go down the line of all the different moves that we saw from Doug Wilson, and you were very, very excited to see what would happen once they got there because you felt like, you know, just one player could help push your team to the edge. And, you know, again, the Sharks were in that position many, many times, And so now they're on the other side of it, watching other teams take from them as they try and build towards an unknown future. And again, I always go to the unknown. We don't know what is going to happen, but with the moves we've seen from Mike Greer, with what people around the league are saying about Mike Greer and his vision, you know, again, I come back to that. uh, Okay, it's not going to be immediate. It's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be next week. It's maybe not going to be next season. 
but it does seem like he has an idea of what he wants to do. Seems like he has a vision, and it seems like he's putting that vision in place. And considering we don't have any alternative but to wait and see whether or not it works out, for the time being, you can start and get excited about a William Eklund or a Thomas Bordalo or a Shakir Mukmadulin or the future with Nico Sturm, who was very clear in saying the other day that when he signed a three-year deal with San Jose, his intention was to stay here. And that's the kind of thing that you like to see and hear from a player like Nico Sturm, who wants to be here, who wants to help the Sharks get back to where we all want them to be ourselves. We are going to take a break. On the other side, we are going to get into some post-game sound. Plus, I'll play you some of those cuts that Carter McGahee had about Nico Sturm. You're on Morning Tide. That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog, because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Welcome back to Morning Tide, brought to you by Coors Light. Yes and no. I think, you know, they're obviously a much better hockey team than we are. They came out ready to play and uh, put us on their heels. Right from the start, and, uh, you know, once that happens, uh, you know, they were in control of the game. And we were second-guessing every decision we made, and uh, that's why, uh, you know, it looked the way it did. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, but it happens sometimes, and, uh, you know, uh, we just got to regroup and uh, hopefully throw this one in the garbage. All right, welcome back. That is Eric Carlson bringing us back in, speaking with the media after last night's loss to the Avs. And, of course, People had a lot of questions for Eric Carlson after the non-call that saw him bloodied taking a high stick and then the 10-minute misconduct that followed. But, you know, I I think it's important to hear what Carlson had to say, and and so we're going to get into it. Carlson was asked if throwing his uh, bucket on the ice was uh, a show of frustration, and he said this. Yeah, it's just a little disrespectful, I think, from from their end, but it is what it is. Uh, I understand that, you know, they have a tough job and, you know, things are going to get, you know, missed and stuff, but I, I found that was a hard one to miss, and, uh, uh, you know, I didn't even say anything bad. And, uh, you know, to get disrespected like that, it's, it's tough to take. And, I mean, I lost my cool a bit after that, and I apologize for that, but... Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it's 6 nothing game or uh, one nothing game. Uh, we're still out there trying to play our hardest and, uh, you know, keep it within the means we can. And, uh, stuff happens sometimes. And the difference that I think that we see with David Quinn and Eric Carlson is that, you know, they're apologetic for their behavior, but at the same time, they do it at the right time. Like, if you're going to show that frustration, do it in the game when the referee's right there in front of you. You know, instead... They're not doing the whole thing where you go and you complain to the media and the talk gets, you know, circulated around. And Carlson's giving a very clear explanation to himself. He's not trying to make something more out of it. He's letting his displeasure be known. And I think that's that's the right way to handle it. But he's not going out there slamming the refs. He's not, you know, doing anything over the top. And listen, it would be well within his rights if he wanted to. I mean, he, he can afford the fine. But, you know, it seems to me that he's going about this the right way if there is a quote-unquote right way. He was then asked to uh, add a little bit more context on what it means to be disrespected. No, I mean, if I would have said something really offside, I think, uh, you know, I would have been the first one to say I deserved it, but I don't think so. Uh, 
but again, I don't make the rules. I try and apply to them, and uh, just tough when uh, it's, it's a little gray area sometimes. And uh, you know, I don't really know what to say. It's the second game in a row now. Andy was asked if the refs ever said anything. Uh, no, not really. I talked to uh, uh, what's his name now again, the other guy, not Gord. Uh, sorry, uh, I know his name too. See something. Corey and uh, he just said uh, you know he was right behind me uh, I had the puck he said he couldn't see it couldn't guess uh, I heard some other guys say that you know maybe I fell a little bit too easy or something and uh, that was pretty much it uh, you know would have been nice to uh, just get a we missed that one we're sorry and uh, we could have all moved on but I uh, don't think we're going to get to that point now you know, we'll see if there's any fine for Carlson throwing his helmet on the ice. I don't think there really should be. I think he should be allowed to be pissed off about a clearly missed call. However, we'll see where it goes. Carlson also was asked if there was any carryover from uh, when Gord got into it with Quinn the other night. I mean, you have to ask him. Um, you know, he's a, he's a great person. I talked to him off the ice, and, uh, you know, he's a good person. And I have nothing bad to say about him. I think uh, we have a good relationship out there. And, you know, obviously today, uh, you know, uh, we didn't treat each other with uh, the respect that we both deserve. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, the appropriate people will handle it. Quinn was also asked if he thought there was any carryover here. And he uh, quickly put that theory to bed. No, we buried the hatch and he and I talked it out. So we're both good. Now here's maybe the bigger picture, Carlson being asked about what the takeaway is from this game. Uh, I think, you know, we know they're a better team than we are. Uh, you know, the standings uh, show that. Uh, but I think today, you know, we, we weren't really ready to play hockey. And, and if we're going to have a chance to, you know, play with the teams that likes to control the puck a lot, we got to try and do the same. And, uh, you know, today we just gave it to them a little bit too much and, and let them have their way. And, uh, you know, that makes us uh, defend an awful lot and, and uh, you know, chase around. And uh, we, we have to at least try and take control of the game a little bit and, and, uh, and you know, try to, to play with the puck and, and uh, you know, play the good game of hockey out there. Now, we can talk about the back-to-back, we can talk about the elevation, but the fact that the Sharks just played right into the hands of the Abs all night long, seemingly feeding them the puck, setting them up, I mean, it was just, it was it was remarkable to watch the Abs just jump all over the Sharks the way they did, and it's just been a matchup for a few years now that does not favor the Sharks in the slightest. And one last one from Carlson, he was asked about what he thinks of Kanijov in light of his return to the NHL. No, he looks good. Uh, you know, he's moving well, and, um, you know, it's going to take him some time, I'm sure, to get adjusted to do everything and, and, you know, for it to be a little bit more automatic for him. Uh, but that's, you know, nothing unexpected. I think he's done a good job so far in, in uh, you know, controlling the things that he can. And, and uh, you know, he's he's uh, played a tough back-to-back here to, to start things off. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, a little bit of a smoother ride going forward. Yeah, it, it's it, we were... Talking, I was talking with Peter Ball, our athletic uh, writer, uh, about Nico Sturm at Morning Skate this morning. And uh, obviously a, a later addition to the team last year, but still a part of, of the team that won the Cup. And, uh, you know, he had his, uh, his moment uh, in the final there. He went off of Cagliano instead of Nico Sturm's stick. But 
he's still a, a part of a group that uh, that won the cup, and that's something that he can that he can always say. And as Jared Bednar said in his media availability this morning, I always have soft spots for guys who helped us win the cup, and Nico Sturm uh, surely did that for the Avs. You know, in San Jose, we've been really impressed by what a leader he has been in the midst of what has been a, a pretty, um, you know, not. I guess disappointing might not be the right word because I think a lot of us saw the writing on the wall, but just what hasn't been a fun year, but he's been the guy to stand up and, you know, it only took till the fifth straight loss to open the year before he was kind of calling things out and being very um, blunt about his assessments. However, you know, he did it in a way that obviously earned him respect quickly in the dressing room. Was that what you saw last year or is this maybe something new to him? And maybe it's different because he wasn't, um, you know, last year he was entering a good situation later in the year, whereas he was in San Jose the entire season. Well, no, I, I didn't really see that at all. And I can't blame him because you're coming into a locker room of a, uh, a core group uh, of elite players that's been together through hell or high water uh, with, I mean, Captain Gabe Landeskog, uh, Nathan McKinnon, who's a superstar, Kale McCarr, who won every trophy uh, a no man last year, Mika Rantanen. Uh, is there you have uh, a bunch of players who have been together and, and really can communicate without talking and that isn't exactly um, an odium for Nico Sturm to come in and uh, and speak up and 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 do that he didn't feel the need to um, it was interesting because it was Cogliano who sort of filled that role uh, another former San Jose Shark who is playing in his 1200th career NHL game tonight um, Cogliano was the guy who gave the speech before game six really? of the Stanley Cup final where the Avalanche uh, beat uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning two, two to one. And Cogliano got up and wanted to speak to the group. And he was the one who did that. And I think that Sturm is, is a very intelligent hockey player mm -hmm. and can definitely read the room. And the room didn't need him to do anything like that. And the, the situation is probably different now with the Sharks. The room maybe needed him a little bit more. So um, I applaud his his uh, ability to read that and his versatility to, to also be a guy. Because um, I, I, I always sort of viewed him as a, as a quiet type. And so to hear that he, you know, had the... Uh, the ability in him to step up and, and say something to a group, uh, I think just adds to uh, his versatility as a hockey player. Yeah, and you talked about his intelligence. I mean, I think that's what we all noticed very, very quickly, especially because, you know, being in the positions we are, we look for the athletes that are natural speakers. And Nico Sturm, it seems like you can just put a microphone in front of him and let him go. I mean, that was the thing that just really, really took me by, um, you know, not necessarily surprised, but it was like, oh, wow, this guy is going to be a great interview all year long. And, and it's the kind of thing where you immediately think to yourself, boy, he's got a, a future in broadcasting when this whole hockey business is over. Well, and he can do it in two languages, too. That's, you know that's I mean? true. Let's, let's bring uh, NHL Deutschland to the front. Uh while we're at it, uh, he would he could he could do it very easily there. But yeah, I mean, you you see his his maturity as a player, too. You know, I mean, everyone talked about that with Gabe Landeskog when he became the youngest captain at the time uh, in NHL history, when because everyone never viewed him necessarily as a Swede. They viewed him as a Canadian because his English was almost better than his Swedish at the time after he, he came to the Avalanche after being the captain of the Kitchener Rangers in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, but I, I, I get a very similar feeling from Nico Sturm that uh, he, he's very well-spoken and, and knows what to say. And it's not just 
cliches or platitudes thrown all over the place. Uh, it is it is very well thought out, very well spoken. And you're right. I think he's got uh, a future at kicking uh, either of us off the airwaves, quite possibly. <laughs> but not not without a fight from us, that will be sure. Um, oh, oh, no, 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 no. And I, hey, well, I, you know, he's German, but I'm Irish. You know, we put up a fight. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go <laughs> like- quietly. Fun stuff with Connor McGahey there joining us here on the Sharks Audio Network. If you want to hear the entirety of the interview, check out yesterday's edition of the buildup as the Sharks prepared for the abs. But I think it's very interesting to note that the leadership qualities that we see from Sturm were maybe not as evident or not really at all evident last year with Colorado. And obviously, like we alluded to, he came into a situation full of superstars later in the year. But You know, all year long, like I alluded to, since those five straight games to open the season when, you know, he got up there and said, this is not going to continue. We've got to turn things around. You know, he's been the guy to speak out and say things, and he's established himself as a leader in the room, and he's also established himself with his play out there on the ice. And when we talk about the future of what we're going to see from the San Jose Sharks, I hope it is more and more guys like Nico Stern because fans appreciate hustle. Fans appreciate hard work. Like even when you're not winning, like the Sharks are doing right now, no one is going to walk away from this season and say that Nico Sturm was a bad pickup, nor that he was a guy that didn't give his all every single time he went out there onto the ice. And I think that is very, very impactful and very, very important um, just to see because you want those guys to have that type of performance. You want those guys to be able to come in and be contributors right off the bat. And that's exactly what Nico Sturm has been. So, you know, I thought it was interesting to just to get those perspectives from somebody who saw Sturm before, because, you know, I, I knew a little bit about him as a player. I knew he was from, you know, Germany. I knew that he was going to be able to, you know, put forth some battle out there on the ice, but, you know, hearing just the other perceptions of him in a different situation, uh, I found that very interesting. And, uh, McGahey is a good friend of uh, the Sharks Audio Network, always coming on, just a great guy in general, and a uh, an MLS broadcaster as well in his past, so he and I have that in common. But we are just about out of time. Be sure to get back with us tonight on the Sharks Audio Network as the Barracuda take on Ontario, pregame 6.30 with Nick Nolenberger, game time at 7.00. And then we'll be back with you on Thursday night, the Sharks in St. Louis, game three of this three-game road trip. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off. You've been listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide, brought to you by Coors Light on the Sharks Audio Network.